Hey, this is Rusty Kelly. And I'm Amelia McKay. And this is the second episode of our Breathing Problem uh, Productions podcast. Uh, it seemed like some heads listened to the first episode and the comedy episode, and some people seemed to like it. I'm sure some people hated it too, but luckily they didn't hit, They didn't let me know, which is always nice. Um, but... Uh, uh, we're just excited. We're just trying to keep this regular. Um, uh, and so we were, there's all kinds of guests that hopefully are going to come on in the future. Friends of ours, uh, collaborators of ours that we're excited to have on. But since it's kind of like tomorrow's New Year's Eve and we thought it would be nice to just do another episode of which I'm sure there'll be plenty. That's just me and Amelia. Um, and we were thinking of things we could talk about and uh, something that kind of seemed super obvious was to talk about our album bed of sex pit of tar uh it's like a our, it isn't the first full length we did but in a way it is uh obviously we had a full length that we mentioned the last episode called the keyhole that came out on um bbp uh and uh depravity label and to me that tape is kind of like a proto, like a beginning of tr- really trying to understand what the project was. Do you know what I mean, Amelia? Yeah. Like we even used, uh, we even used tracks. I think we used one. Let's see how how many tracks did we use from the keyhole? We used the active sing with one's eye. So I guess it's just um, for that specific album that we use the act of seeing with one's eye. But, you know, there's all kinds of really cool and interesting songs on the keyhole. Um, Like we mentioned on the last episode, different cool samples Amelia discovered that we used for songs, like Entropy, Sun, She's Fire. Um, And that, you know, maybe we'll talk about that whole record another time. Um, But to me, really, for the purposes of this this podcast i would say that the keyhole and the swallowing bile split are basically kind of like proto precursor eps that end up some of the songs carry over to bed of sex bit of tar and immediately i feel like we need to mention our frequent producer and collaborator mitchell kreitz crumb he's like a super old friend of ours um mitchell i met in austin way back in the day in like 2006 2007 but we didn't get too close until uh, Amelia and I started dating in 2012. Mitchell and I uh, started a band called Captive, which is like a uh, synth pop project that Amelia also did vocals on some songs too, which I'm so glad. You know, we only did one record, but I feel like it's pretty perfect for that style. By the way, did you like Captive? I love doing it. I love I love being there. <laughs> yeah. And we'd always get you on stage. I think I always just wanted you to like be in it all the time, to mm-hmm. be honest. But uh, anyway, you know, Mitchell produced. You know, he was the synth drum machine dude, and was he's so fucking talented. He's produced rap. Uh, he's he, when I had a goofy rap project once, he did all the songs. Um, 
But uh, anyway, as we were living in our apartment in Austin, Texas, and beginning to do breathing problem again, um, I started... Mitchell actually had left Austin and was living in Brooklyn, New York. And I was always... Mitchell and I talk almost every day. And we were talking about... He was doing songs and producing stuff. And this was before Immortalists had become a thing or I think he was he had done a couple songs way back but um I think the first song that Mitchell did was the song uh, highly personal hmm. um which is like a very kind of alberichy kind of beat driven track yeah um so I guess we should probably go in order but I just wanted to say um I wish she could be here uh, but I I didn't want to do the Zoom thing just yet. I just th- thought it would be easier and less, um, I guess, uh, stressful if it was just me and you talking. But I just wanted to say, Mitchell, if you're listening, we love you. And, you know, he he's, of course, credited, but he's, like, uh, a huge part of many Breathing Problem songs. He's kind of like, if we were talking about hospital productions, uh, he's like the Chris Lopke alberich type producer to us you know what i mean to obviously to people that know like uh alberich chris helped produce a lot of great variant songs and also engineered them Uh, but anyway um so the first song on bed of sex pit of tars is is called bed of sex pit of tar Okay, so what do you think about when you think of this song? I think of the very beginning of, like, the layer creation songs. like Which you had a huge part of. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, experimenting with with Bandcamp and then... Or, sorry, yeah. uh, GarageBand. GarageBand, yeah, yeah. Because um, Mitchell sent us... Was that, it how it worked? He sent us the, yeah. like, loops with the violin-y kind of, like, yes. stuff... But then Amelia began looping her voice and layering her voice in GarageBand, right? Yes. How many layers of your voice oh, are it's, there? It's probably like four different layers mm-hmm. over top one another. So. And I remember you, my mental picture of you doing this was in the bathroom, like in the bathroom that we had in, in uh, back in the in that apartment. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I don't know why. Maybe you didn't record them in the bathroom, but I feel like you did. There was, you're thinking of the water mic and. No, no, no. I'm, I'm talking. I don't know why. Anyway. Which I, bath? Like, yeah. Like, okay. not, I remember, that was its own separate thing, but I remember you recording some vocals in our, not the guest bathroom, but our main bathroom in our old apartment. Huh. But, um, I guess I don't remember that, but... I have a weird photographic <laughs> memory. Everything's, like, related to, like, a specific... But I feel like this was the beginning of you really taking control and 
taking songs in the direction you wanted them to go. Because this song to me is very much so you you your song with Mitchell, you know. But it's like Mitchell sending something and then you immediately adding what you felt. Do you remember thinking about why you wanted to add layers? Did it just seem like to make sense or what? I I think it's it it wasn't like intentional that I would like add that much to it, but then it uh it turned out like just one one layer at a time and then how I could like fill in a different space mm-hmm. with like another part of it kind of thing. Feels this way. So I think what's interesting about that song is we'd have to ask Mitchell. I don't know exactly what he uh, sampled, but it seems like there's some kind of like stringed instrument, some almost like a cinematic kind of soundtrack loops almost, you know? Um, and then I like how the song kind of has these booming, bassy, like parts that kind of break it up. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's so, I don't know, I always love the way you lose your mind on the vocals. And then for my part, because, you know, I guess I helped mix it a little bit, pretty much. That's kind of all I did, even though you were layering and adding effects. Although I do remember when we were figuring out the live version of these tracks, which is his own thing. Um, I'm, by the way, Mealy and I aren't people that are in any way against, like, playing a backing track and doing vocals over it. Because to me, live noise can be so complicated that just making sure vocals and the track sounding good is hard enough. You know, I, I'm really uninterested in trying to prove you can play the song live, whatever the fuck that means. If it sounds good, it sounds good. That's the way I feel. But um, for that track, uh, we used a sampler, just like a super cheap basic sampler, and I uh, added layers of your vocals. I don't know if you remember this. So that when we would play live, I could actually like each little pad was a different layer of your vocals so we could add them all together which was really cool because the the live thing kind of became its own cool song that we could play with because i think you would do do one layer of your own vocals where you would say the bed of sex lines and then there would be layers of vocals that i was messing with on the sampler i don't know i really love do you like that song (laughs) of course i'm assuming you like but I, not that we should like we could do like top 10 favorite songs on the album but i i no i, I love that one i guess okay sure. so here's the next song um we'll play a little bit from session one the second song
so what do you remember about this track i remember you finding that the the first thing that you hear in the song is that kind of metallic squeal and i remember you finding yeah. that sample yeah i think i found that sample and just googling god look now all the, all the illusion and magic is gone no, i'm just kidding <laughs> Uh, googling like metallic sound like i would find these huge mm -hmm. banks of like collections for samplers and i would search out interesting kind of metallic sounds that yeah. foley artists use and stuff and the rest is um our own field recordings um in oh. our apartment we lived right next to train tracks the train tracks and it's it's like a really heavily um like cemented area like where there's a bridge underneath it so there's tons of reverb and i was obsessed with how um it sounded like right outside of our apartment all the time mm -hmm. yeah and it would always just depend on the day or like the when the train was gonna yeah, come by and it always be these like unique kind of varieties of the same sound mm -hmm. but taking tons of field recordings of the train mm -hmm. for this album was like a huge process to find the right sample yeah in like an obsessive way for you yeah and, yeah and then also i think there's we did a kind of you know i wouldn't say breathing problem is necessarily like a kind of ritual industrial project which is his own micro genre of industrial you know but for this track we definitely did a kind of uh ritual sex magic thing i i, I or you know whatever you want to define magic I, I realize that could be cringy to some people but we definitely in the room that the, the train sounds came from that wasn't our room it was actually gilbert's old room obviously which is yes. what, how i viewed the room as um i know we recorded ourselves fucking and also i think there was some like did we burn like paper there was some kind of there was a ritual aspect to it. I don't, and I so I feel dumb not remembering exactly what it was. But either way, to me, it was trying to charge up, you know, in some ways to some people. I don't know. Session one could see can seem like a super abstract song, and it is. Um, but it was a kind of moment of wanting to mix a few different undistorted uh, samples and field recordings in in a way that seemed interesting and we connected to um obviously there's uh i guess what three <coughs> sessions um and the f well there's um also 39 lashes is like that's a, the third a, session yeah, yeah right exactly um session one is in a way it's almost like it's very loose uh if you if you kept listening to it let's listen to another clip from it back to this is you know it feels like coming from for me at least a place of breathing problem being in 
mattress on the floor era, it's very much so like traditional harsh noise with power electronics. Then um, the album with Mason, uh, Reactive Attachment Disorder, is very like produced, you know, death industrial. I was influenced at the time very much so by Purine's Bermuda Drain, side note. Um, and then with this, I just love this track a lot because to me it was saying like, look, you can just take pieces of something that you love and you can just let them be. You can, you know, there wasn't much editing on these tracks. Maybe we were looping the metal sounds and we were looping small elements, but I like the idea. And I guess maybe this to some people is just like, okay, whatever is, is that you can allow a song can be a beautiful, great, interesting song. Um, just allowing it to be what it is and not worrying too much about how how edited it is, how manipulated it is, how much distortion is on it, how much reverb is on it. Do you know what I mean by yeah, that? Yeah, I do. Um, I think that's why I like this one more than a lot of them. I think just because of that reason. If you were to put, rate yeah. them. Right, you're right. If you were to rate them. Um, and I think I wanted the album or we wanted the album to be like have the Mitchell tracks that are produced you know however deeply produced you define industrial being with tracks that were raw and just bare do you know what i mean yeah so i definitely love session one um okay let's move on so the third song is places of reward and punishment let's listen to a clip I just wanted to play a clip before the song, the beat hits for, you know, yeah. lack of a better word. Um, this, this is a track that was produced with Mitchell, but, um, it again has, is your handprints or your voice is all over it. There was a ton of you doing layered voices, right? Yes. Can you talk about, do you remember specifically doing anything with this or your voice? Yeah, this was one of my favorite songs to make just cause it's more like, a song like a more like traditionally like written song with like lyrics or something mm -hmm. and then this was also the first song we'll hear it in a second that we both did we actually both did mm -hmm. did vocals right on this one. right um but yeah there's more of that kind of um layering and uh trying to get like a full kind of almost like chorus of whispers like with right. one voice and it's really fun to make in that way. Well, and I think what's great is, like, 
you know, Mitchell would send us these tracks and then we would layer and add onto them. And there's other cases too where we'd send it back and he'd mess with the track too. But in this case, I think it was him sending something. I think the sounds of like the metal clinking were definitely part his that he had, he started with. But to me, you know, I think it's interesting. I don't know what people's preconceived notions of this album are or any of our albums. Um, You know, of course we have Mitchell's name as a producer, but I think what's interesting is in many ways, you know, I don't, I guess I don't want to, I think what's interesting is you wonder what certain people think, how do we all record? How do we do it? But I think on this album, there's lots of cases of you taking, we were using our shitty little laptop, a Mac laptop. We were using um, GarageBand, which to me is basically like, I'm sure someone's going to roll their eyes, but like, (laughs) you know, the Millennium 4-track, because that's where I learned to record is using uh, GarageBand in 2007. And you hadn't recorded before this, right? You learned to record stuff too with GarageBand, and I think it's amazing how easy it is for, for people to learn stuff. And you were learning how to loop your voice and how to add reverb and manipulate things. There wasn't a ton of effects or anything like that, too. Um, and I think... And this also is another case of when we did the song live, adding layers of vocals onto the um, to sample pads. Um, but I think it's just cool because, to me, these songs also reflect you like figuring out your voice and your style of how you wanted to record your own vocals yeah. and, and how what you wanted to do with them. Because I don't think I was like, okay, Amelia, okay, you do your vocals now, and then this is the story. This is what we're going to do. It was like Mitchell sends us a track you would listen to it and kind of go and figure out how you wanted to mess with it. You know what I mean? All right, listen to another clip. another clip the beat hits then my vocals come in um and i was just saying oh you know because i the lyrics i say is she waits in a house of bricks makes bricks made of discipline and i don't think i wrote those lyrics i think you wrote the lyrics I did. Yeah, I for me them. to sing yeah there's there's actually a couple of songs I yeah think no no, no. where you tell me what to case, sing yeah. yeah um and then there's the kind of chorusy I don't know if it's core. I don't know how you define it, but you're kind of this singing, this little melody layer of I wait for you. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I think it's in, it would be interesting also to talk about lyrically what you were thinking about when you wrote this song. Because yeah. the song's called, obviously, Places of Reward and Punishment. And, you know, we've talked about it before that in many ways this song is about sex and... I think it, the bricks is probably referring to like our like the first apart apartment like mm. on infield and the one where i was addicted to drugs that yeah. we lived i lived in for a short period of time and that's where we first started to 
kind of hook up for lack of a better term mm-hmm. but they were experiences that i think were super special and important for us definitely and it's like a place of like almost this limbo state before we merged or and really something. became and like a positive couple yeah the- and so i think that's kind of like what i was meaning behind mm-hmm. the words um and i i just remember like really wanting to like fit the vocals in to go with that melody that Mitchell created because it's so pretty mm-hmm. and it was it was the first kind of opportunity that I had to like use my voice in like more of like a singing Melodic way. way yeah <laughs> yeah because you kind of done it in captive but I think I that was more of a pre-written song yeah right um and this was your own project you know yeah felt great <laughs> <laughs> um let me think. All right. I guess that's a good place. We can move on. No, here's the, the hit. I no, I don't. This is, you know, this is Garden of Persephone. This song is, we use so far in the opening and closing of our yeah. podcast. And this is like a, such a special song. I think, uh, to me, it was, okay, Mitchell, of course, produced this song, and then we added our layers of vocals. Mm-hmm. We both sing on this one. It's yeah. it's a very, I think, important song. It's one of my favorite songs that we've ever played live. It's, I joked just now, but I, t- I feel like it's, like, a very catchy song. Yeah. I don't know how other people feel about the song, <laughs> but I feel like you could sing along with the song. Um, it's the kind of song, if I didn't write it or I didn't record it, I, w- I would probably like it or be jealous of it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, I do. <laughs> do you, uh, um, here, let's listen to it a little bit. Um, so for Garden of Persephone, there's, I think there's multiple things we can talk about. The song title, The Garden of Persephone, is an, a reference to the Greek myth. Many people know about it, but some people don't. So do you want to quickly just say what it was? Right. It's uh, a myth uh, about Hades, the god of the underworld, and he falls in love with Persephone after just glancing at her and she's like picking flowers and it's like one of the few times he ever comes up from the underworld right and he kidnaps her and takes her down right and uh in the myth they like she's she's raped yes right and there's a very classic 
sculpture of of the rape, the rape of, of Persephone. Persephone, and so the lyrics that we that you wrote, again, these were lyrics you wrote that you asked me to sing part of, except the end where it it says, like a tulip pluck rape not fucked, That's which totally you. <laughs> which is we it's weird because, um, uh, I'm a weird person and I have little sayings that I say like a psychopath like I. Like, the breathing problem came from a, I kept saying over and over again, you know, have you ever wanted to fuck someone with a breathing problem? I would say that, like, over and over again on tours, and people would always joke around. Anyway, it came from there. Um, and then I would always say, like, a tulip pluck, rape not fucked. And then I even, I guess you kind of separately doing the lyrics for Garden of Persephone felt like we should add that as a call and response. Yeah is perfect for and um yeah again i guess the lyrical similarities to our own situation are obvious to some people but um to me again this was a, a song about sex and maybe f- me personally i write about this a lot being this hugely powerful thing more powerful than violence or death um in in positive and negative ways depending on the person and the context but in our case the violent sex we were having was full of life and i think was very positive at least to me at least you know what i mean right and i think it's like a connection to our own personal mythology Mm -hmm. that it it's somehow was something that really did um describe something within us or yeah. within both of us yeah that felt larger like a, almost like a mythological um story or something of course yeah i think it it becomes this love story between that is our you know our own I guess everyone stars in their own like film of their life or their own myth of their own life, and mm-hmm. I think we we both felt this deep narrative connection to what was happening with us and how we were growing as people. You know, rejecting the self destructive activity in a way that I guess some people would define what we were doing as you know, maybe puritanical people would define, like, BDSM as as simplistic and destructive, but, of course, it was hugely, I think, life-affirming, and this was our own narrative of that, you know? Like, like a tulip pluck rape not fuck, in some ways, maybe it's goofy to some people, whatever the case may be, it was, like, a mantra that I would always say obsessively, like, hypnotically, as weird as that sounds, (laughs) and I feel like it's saying, like, this violent sex at least in the context of our relationship was important was different it wasn't just fucking it wasn't just sex it was like this ground shaking mythological type thing between us is that is that correct in saying that yeah (laughs) um back now like okay let's listen a little more the actual song like going to the technical aspects
mean, the actual song inter- musically is is all Mitchell. Um, I think Amelia and I asked him to do a track that utilized, like, I, I think I'd sent him some, like, test department stuff um, that utilized metal percussion. I think that was what I'd ask. I, before Mitchell would make a song, many times both of us would say, here's here are ideas or other bands or interesting things that you could use as a springboard, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, they were always his own. But uh, I know I definitely, th- I think, sent him test department, tracks and i sent also mitchell's side from test department i sent him the song armenia by einsters and neubotten which is from the heat soundtrack which is like such a fucking incredible track it's it's a very sprawling epic industrial song if there ever was one it's very cinematic too um and uh you know i think mitchell just utilized that metal percussion with the the melodies and i don't know it's he did a great job and it was an incredible thing to be able to like add vocals and take the song where we wanted to take it um um listening to this song also makes me personally think about a conversation i had with some members of yellow tears the amazing noise project way back in the day in like 2010 where they were talking about how much they loved pop music and how in many ways power electronics and noise some of the best of it best versions of it have have those elements you know and also as those conversations were happening i heard like from uh that i heard tracks from the prurient bermuda drain album and i know some people dislike that album i think it's one of those albums you either love or hate i love bermuda drain um but again there's a perfect kind of eye uh, and ear for incredible pop songs and choruses and uh, both Yellow Tears and Dom and Alberich have those kind of elements that I love. So, I don't know. The song is, is great and has that. So, I guess we can go to the next one. So, the next song is Mouth to Mouth Session 2. think about when you hear this song Uh, our um good old water mouth contact mic Mm -hmm. um some of this was recorded like in a bathtub was it i think this part was yeah recorded in my mom's bathroom i think there's like photos of us in the apartment too i don't know what that one that one might have been stuff from uh recording the keyhole oh okay side note right so but this was basically just like this is all to me this is us doing our live uh, the live things that we would do with the the mouth-to-mouth song Mm -hmm. but the recorded version uh uh 
I think. I think we. I really wanted it to be like the recording of like literally in between us and the kind of idea behind like the words like mouth to mouth is very like about like resuscitation Mm -hmm. yeah and so that element of this album is like so important important and like personal okay so i think another thing that's interesting about mouth to mouth is it's a recorded version of a live performance so you're never gonna get the live performance aspect like i was thinking the other day about how the grateful dead which isn't a band i'm a fan of at all but how they're basically known for their live shows and their albums are kind of like hey i could be wrong dead fans but i think they're kind of viewed as not being able to capture what's so great about the grateful dead which was that they were this live band and you had to be there for their their improvisations and long sessions right Mm -hmm. so like to me, what's interesting about Mouth to Mouth is it's, as an artist, you're kind of knowing it's the performative visual aspect, which is seeing Amelia and I with the water contact mic in our mouth doing these mouth loops live. Is I, I'll never be the audience member, but I hope that it's an interesting and uh, kind of visual thing to see, right? Uh, you're seeing the signifiers of the mouth-to-mouth resuscitation concept and then you're seeing live samples which to me is always cool to see live samples similar to you know yellow tears does that they're the best at that um but i even though say as an artist we knew it would you know it's not like we could put a dvd up showing this you know maybe we could but it wouldn't be the same thing but we still i still wanted to do an audio version of it right but I, that's what I'm saying is interesting is like you you know that the performance will never c- translate to pure audio because you, it's, you're not going to be able to show the visual as- aspect, right? Yeah. All you can do is call it mouth to mouth and hope that people maybe get it or maybe they don't know that there's two voices being looped. Who knows, right? Yeah. Um, but anyway, one th- that is always interesting to me how, you know, the certain performative stuff uh, – can't necessarily all translate to audio but uh i think you know by the way it's a very simple thing that we did we took this waterproof contact mic we share the mic we uh do vocals and scream and moan into a delay pedal and then there's a distortion pedal that's used near the end for when things get really intense in my memory, we recorded maybe this a couple different times, but the final time, I believe, was at my mother's house in her pink and black bathroom. Mm-hmm. Or is it purple? Is it no, it's pink. pink and, yeah, see? Uh, and uh, I just, you know, obviously I love this track. It's it's a, it's a great track. And again, uh, the idea with it being so raw and kind of and there's no real edits to speak of, is real is again this kind of contrast with the more produced tracks right yeah so you have the mitchell kind of produced stuff and then you have stuff like session one and this and r and a couple other tracks that are more loose and raw you know which uh here we can listen to another sample from it
saying during the break? I said that I think I was trying to capture, like, also, like, a sound of maybe, like, Persephone's hell. Of the underworld. Yeah, the yeah, underworld. Of, like, writhing and screaming. Yeah. And, like, kind of an agony and echo. rape. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I, I get that for sure. And then that contrasted with this, our own personal uh, attachment to the idea of resuscitation and healing through mm-hmm. this violent act. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay, you want to move on? Yeah. Okay, so this is Heart of Snow. Mm-hmm. We'll play a clip. So here we go. This is, I think, what's interesting to think of this pattern. Another Mitchell song that he produced, um, you wrote all the lyrics to this song, mm-hmm. and I do my own lyrics too. So again, this is a song where there's layers of your vocals doing these beautiful kind of whispered melodies, melodies through reverb, mm-hmm. and then contrasted with my kind of pitched vocals. Um, yeah, and I actually, I remember specifically this song, I wrote, like, all the lyrics for you to sing. Mm-hmm. And I remember <laughs> trying to make you do it exactly how I, I, I wanted. Remember this. Did you remember yeah, that? Like the, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I is, made you do, like, multiple a, like takes. five takes mm-hmm. of it. I, I mean, I love this song. This song, you know, Mitchell obviously did a great job with the, uh, the different mm-hmm. synth sounds and the beats. But... Uh, Again, this song kind of veers into myth territory, but right. I guess more fairy tale territory, because yeah. it's you know the 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 title is a reference to Snow White. Obviously, can you talk about the lyrics? Yeah, and so it's like a similar kind of myth that involves, um, like a the huntsman, and he like is asked by the dark like evil queen to kill her and cut out her heart as proof. And instead, he can't he can't do it, and so he cuts out a pig's heart and brings it back instead. So she's off the hook. But but, but she's now he. But she's lost in the woods. Right. Yeah. And again, you know, I think it's interesting to go to a personal thing. Um, when I met you, and still, of course, you you love. Uh, you know, you love fairy tales and Disney films. Um, I liked w- older stories, though, like the Peter Pan book. Like, right? You lo- that's another thing that we should have talked. Well, we're gonna talk about it now. Mitch, uh, Amelia loves Peter Pan. Yeah, I love the Jay and Barry books. And you love the cartoon, of course, too, right? Oh, of course. Well, it comes, but the yeah, yeah, totally. all of it. <laughs> well, I think, but that's one. When I met you, I remember you talking to me a ton about Peter Pan. And what Mm -hmm. I really loved and connected with you is similar to me. People would be like, oh, yeah, Peter Pan, that's like a pop culture thing. I know what that is. But then you would talk their ear off about all these details Mm -hmm. and these personal connections you'd have. And you'd like weird people out. Just like for me, like someone asks about, I don't know, a serial killer (laughs) or or a film or whatever. Something that weird OCD people like us that we, oh, my God, there's something we're interested in. And we'll talk 
our ear off and people just be like oh cool you freaked me out (laughs) you know what i mean by that and so meeting you i was like oh here's another person (laughs) that's obsessed with weird shit that's just as obsessive as i am about certain things Mm -hmm. and you know you let me see your own personal connection to these stories and uh obviously this isn't a song about peter pan right but uh I think what's cool about it is, again, this is another love song from your point of view, and it's focusing on this very specific part of uh, the Snow White story, which is this the huntsman role at the beginning where there's this threat of serious violence, and um, doesn't he like... Tenderness. And- of course, and pr- he's protecting her in a certain way, or in a specific way, but... Th- he doesn't does he he doesn't shoot at her does he is no, that he a, a knife this is like he like threatens her though right i'm just thinking about the lyrics to the he, song yeah yeah let's listen to it okay i, I want to listen to your part like the, the part i okay. wrote about like for you. Okay, so right now, Amelia and I, we just played a clip, a longer clip with my lyrics, and um, we're looking at the lyrics that I say. Um, it's okay. But we're just talking also about how our we're, we have like this metal table, and it's like a contact <laughs> mic in of itself. But um, uh, near the end, you know, I'm the point of view of the huntsman telling her to leave, um, and... Maybe it's that I'm screaming, like, go, forgive, you know, I'm telling yeah. the girl to leave, to run. Um, uh, uh, 
I think I love I loved doing vocals on that track. Um, and I have to be honest, at the very end when I'm doing my scream, it's like a 100% prurient dom, like oh, yeah. homage or, or <laughs> you know, I, nothing can beat, uh, at least in my opinion, some of Dom's insane screams. And so that was me uh, doing my little head nod to his style. So <laughs> thank you, Dom, for, for uh, allowing me to, to copy your scream. Um, but it was done with love. Um, uh, I, you know, I love the way the melodic little synth part, that loop, that, you know, well, me, Amelia and I will always just give love and thanks to Mitchell creating these songs with us for this album and allowing us, you know, you know, so much can be said. Uh, he does so much for us. And I think, you know, uh, you've always got to thank the producer. Because what's great about Mitchell, though, too, is these are tracks that he's creating for us and with us, and there's this great collaboration. And, you know, I don't know how he feels, but, I, you know, it's like if someone is creating songs with you and for you who's very talented at making music and producing, which is very specific, you know, they're creating a song for you under maybe your guidelines or maybe, you know, their connection to what you do. But it's always an interesting kind of collaborative method. And back to Amelia's lyrics, you know, to me, again, this is another kind of, like we were saying, similar fable of recontextualizing this specific myth and tale and connecting it to our own narrative. Like creating a narrative between each other and and. and identifying in these specific roles whether it's like the zeus or, sorry hades. the hades and persephone or the huntsman and snow white um and uh, i just i love the the stuff that kind of the interplay mm -hmm. do you want to move on yeah so so r is next So we just played a, um, a clip from R, which we were just talking about how it's the kind of mi it's the middle of the whole album. It's almost like this fulcrum balance that separates the album between itself. Mm -hmm. Again, 
this is a track that's just Amelia and I producing it. Um, it's, you know, I guess if it sounds like any other track, it's closer to session one um, in terms of its abstractness and its kind of threads that are allowed to just kind of be. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's, again, sounds that I found related to uh, uh, searching for interesting scrap metal and metal stuff that's used in films mm-hmm. so there, i think there's some like submarine oh, you know okay. cinematic submarine metal clanking sounds along uh, with like um clips of like sounds of space sounds and stuff right too, which I is think. yeah which there's like s- deep space recording there's some screams from you correct i um, think yeah and uh i think these are the lyrics what where it is Get on your knees and pray for me. Oh, at the of course, end. of course. I didn't. I didn't so even there realize. Are some lyrics to it. Yeah, and uh, here, let's play another clip. played a clip that you know there are i almost forgot i mean these are some of the most important lyrics for me mm-hmm. your lyrics of what get on your knees and pray for me and i i think what's interesting is if we're if we're looking at the kind of bdsm dom sub relationship of course it's a strange thing where instead of what you might expect with me saying this to what would be maybe Amelia of oh, the Dom telling the sub to pray for them. To me, it's almost like it's more you speaking. I don't know. Are you speaking to yourself? Are you speaking to the audience? Do you ever, th- what do you, what do you think it is? Um, like, why is the song called R? Is it for me? Yeah, it's for you. <laughs> Wait, so it's supposed to be it's rusty. Or restricted. Right. R. It's your initial, so, um, or maybe it's is it you saying something that you're it's like me me saying that to you yes and then it's it is it's, it's one wish of those fulfillment. it's the same thing yeah as what you said about like repeating a phrase like a mantra a mantra something. yeah and it's not even directed at like uh, an instruction for someone else and and, that, and to me when i think of it too when you wrote these lyrics i you know i loved the idea of again this what someone might define as violent or destructive sex being related to not just obviously religion but the idea of prayer um the idea the meditative quality of the sub and the dom uh, i guess worshiping the other person both of us worshiping each other yeah so you know if you're looking if you look at the booklet if you have the double lp that was released on torn light records and breathing problem productions the this track has the lyrics in the corner and then there's a black and white image of us on the bed which we'll talk about the those pictures more after but uh i think again if this is like also the be- the middle of of the album it's, i guess it's pretty direct like there it is you know yeah 
And what? I don't know. Is there anything we need to add? <laughs> I feel like it is like that kind of straightforward thing. I mean. It also somehow, even though I had nothing to do with the lyrics, it reminds me of uh, to- when I sing in Total Abuse, like a song like Mutt or a song like The New Man. In Mutt, I say, uh, you're my mutt over and over again. Mm-hmm. You're nothing but my mutt. And then uh, in... Let's say like the new man. I'm saying like I th- I know that sex is worse than death, but I liked saying lyrics or mantras or phrases that looped and hoped that the the audience would hear them in different ways depending yeah. on what their mood was or how they were trying to interpret the song. And it's interesting that you kind of were doing that too. Maybe that's how I see it as yeah. as a vocalist. No, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's move on. And I guess I should add again. This song is. M- not that many layers there's some reverb there's some loops of of sounds that we liked that because they were beautiful sounds whether they were moans or scraping metal again just back to fucking industrial and noise i love the sounds of scraping junk metal and abuse like whether it's through a distortion pedal or not i just love that you know um that's you know rest in peace you know taint mania keith there's just some incredible fucking raw in- connections that i have to just the sounds of of metal you know um so also as conceptual as this album is or isn't or whatever i also this song was just about interesting sounds you know uh this song is called highly personal and it comes from the swallowing bile split Okay, so I I okay, so this was definitely either the first or one of the first Mitchell songs, okay? Yeah. At least this is what I remember. And I 100% was like, Mitchell, can you do a song that you know is influenced or has a similar sound to like uh Alberich's uh what's the song? Um Uh it was 100% influenced by the song Snow is Falling in the Ruins of Stalingrad by Albrecht. Um, it's one of my all-time favorite songs uh, ever, like whether it's industrial, PE, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I love, I'm happy to like say here's where we were influenced because to me, music that I love is all about like people influencing each other um, and so highly personal was our love letter to that track and to the genius of Albrecht. And, um, he did that song and, and, you know, in a way it's a kind of simple song. Amelia's doing flanger vocals. There's some really cool melodies. There's some industrial beat driven stuff. Um, I think we, this again was made before bed of sex, but heart was made <clears throat> on the, the swallowing bile split. Uh, which was called Highly Personal 2. And um, I think it it was just a song that I loved because I think the song's really great, and I wanted it to be on 
the album, you know. I don't know how much, you know, maybe it's an outlier song, so you could say it doesn't have as much of the lyrical threads as the other ones do that were written specifically for Bed of Sex. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's a song that, uh, in terms of audio style matches with the album is a beautiful song your vocals are great i don't even know i don't and the the title highly personal uh is a connection with with what we're all about so i guess it's a quick song oh um uh here we'll play another quick clip of it another outsider song it's a song from the keyhole album and this one was just me and amelia producing it um and i wanted to create a kind of simplest simple loop that uh Mm -hmm. we could do um i love this song yeah i love this i love yeah yeah, i love the loop too and you know it starts with my vocals and then you add add your vocals to it. The actual lyrics Mm -hmm. are related to the true crime elements of the keyhole, which um, this song references uh, the Mr. Cruel case of Australia, which is a really interesting kidnapping murder case you can look further into, but it's a case that still boggles my mind. Um, uh, Three girls were kidnapped. I could get details wrong, forgive me, but three girls were kidnapped from Australia in, I believe, the early 80s, um, late 70s, early 80s. Um, the first two girls were kidnapped by the same man, and they were kept alive. They they were taken out of their houses. It seemed like whoever kidnapped them had cased the house and knew everything about the ins and outs of them and their family. Um, uh, and But they were kept alive, and there was interesting details about how the guy washed the girls Maybe he was filming them. Um, the girls never got sight of the guy's face. But then with the third girl, Carmen Chan, she was kidnapped and didn't show back up and was later found dead. And some people theorize that maybe she was killed because she saw the face of the kidnapper. The kidnapper has never been found. It's one of like the, you know, uh, I'm sure we can talk about this in a separate a- episode, Amelia. But, you know, I never thought, we both never thought that they would, uh, solve the East Area Rapist original Night Stalker case, and they did, which is fucking amazing. Yeah, that's by the way, that's like a place where I'll never forget where I was. Like that's like a nine eleven. People talk about where were you when you heard? Like I remember where I was when I woke up to hearing about mm-hmm. um, D'Angelo being arrested. We were in bed, by the way. Someone texted me to tell me. Yeah. Do you remember that? Me yeah, waking you up at all? Yeah. Yeah, and I was like, holy shit! But. Mr. Cruel is one of those. It would be like the second case where it would be like, I would want to know so badly who the person is. We'll probably never know, but it's an interesting mystery. Um, 
the title of the track is a reference to a Stan Brackett short film, which is just pure autopsy footage he edited. Um, what is that? What is autopsy means right, the act yeah, of seeing exactly. Um, but again, here let's play another clip of the end with Amelia's vocals. ask you this this actually to me is maybe the first example of you doing your kind of layered whisper reverb vocals Mm -hmm. maybe it's the first time you ever did it yeah it was very um directed by you Mm -hmm. and it was like one of the few songs where it was like you telling me like what to do this yeah Mm. and i remember and it's like the first of that kind of repetitive like Mm-hmm. repeating something again and again and using your voice as a kind of loop mm-hmm. um i i think uh i don't know i just love this song and i think again we i just wanted or we wanted this track to be on vinyl like i was like this is a great track it needs yeah. to be on the record and you know mm-hmm. um okay let's move on this track is called 39 Lashes or Session Number 3. So, here we'll play a clip from it. So, in, in line with the other sessions, this is a very uh, raw kind of field recording based track not a lot of editing maybe we added some overdrive or just a little distortion mm-hmm. um again it was trying to contrast the more highly produced songs yeah uh, it's a very personal track it's a very direct track very bare yeah um very direct, yeah. it's of course a session between amelia and i like all the songs were but mm-hmm. this one is more obvious mm-hmm. i 
I apologize if the song makes you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> if you know us or like meta, I, I can't, you know, I'm sure many of our friends haven't said anything, but I imagine it might make them feel weird or like, <laughs> oh God, sorry for making us oh, do that. But maybe we have made people have to feel weird since the dawn of us doing performances, right? Since the first chair performance we talked about in the first episode. Mm-hmm. So I guess people maybe are used to it by now. Although, I remember when we gave a copy of this double LP to your mom. Yeah, I was about to. You were like <laughs> worried about it. her listening to this song, right? Oh, this was the song. Whenever I gave her the album, I like, I really had to like just completely just not think about it to give it to her in the first place. Because you didn't want to second guess yourself. Yeah. You're like, oh, and no. then when I did, I gave it to her and went home and was like listening to it. And I was like, this is the one that I maybe she didn't hear it. Do you think she listened to the album? She did. Yeah. Well, Maybe she, she was pretty freaked out after. Do you think she really le- listened to every song? I think she did, yeah. <laughs> did she ever say anything about this track or anything? No, nothing specifically. <laughs> I could just well, tell. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Her mom was like the sweetest person ever, yeah. by the way. Um, um, this track is a reference to the supposed 39 lashes that Christ was given, which, which is actually also a reference to Lars von Trier's film Nymphomaniac, right? Yeah. Because what part of the film is it that it, when Joe is getting, is in the section of the film where she's getting the... She goes to the higher, like... The guy to the get guy Kane. To hire. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we love Lars von Trier, right? Yes. Well, I remember we <laughs> saw Nymphomaniac first when it was on video on demand, and then we went to the theater. Yes. In Austin, back when you could go see movies, are I, I miss movies. We went to see it with Gilbert. Right. Um, and again, it, you know, I love Lars von Trier. I love that film. Um, it's a great movie, and that was our little nod to it in relation to, you know, I, that we could do. I'm sure someday, I hope we do do a, you know, a Lars von Trier. Uh, we could do like a depression trilogy talk about our connections to his films. Mm-hmm. Um, because when we met, I think I, did I show you Melancholia first or did I, I show you so. Nymphomaniac? Yeah. I don't know which one. No, it, it was, uh, totally Melancholia. Mel- you have that Melancholia tattoo. Right. I, and I, I remember it was just like a must that we had to, we yeah. had to watch Melancholia had come out only like six months before. I think, um, uh, I have a Melancholia tattoo. <laughs> um, it says the earth is evil. We don't need to grieve for it. Nobody will miss it, mm-hmm. which, you know, you can be like, oh, my God, it's just, like, nihilistic, edgy. I love <laughs> that film. It's beautiful. Oh, it's beyond it, to, that. Totally. To <laughs> me, you know, Lorsan make is really interesting in that he makes films about women. Um, and I'm not a woman, of course, so I can't say whether he, <laughs> he, he portrays them in a correct mode, but I think that they're really beautiful and get into the headspace of people that are in crisis in different ways but um so we both needless to say his films are deeply connected to us and i'm sure we'll do episodes about his work also when we saw the house that jack built the (laughs) fire alarm went off in the theater we'd driven to san antonio we live in austin to see the movie in the theater because it wasn't showing anywhere else because we're those people that need to see films in the theaters because it's important and the fucking fire alarm went off. And, and we, we had just watched the part. Uh, it had cut off right after the part where they cut off that lady's breast. Yeah. 
And then <laughs> we all got kicked out. Everybody and then had everyone to had to wait. It was like so confusing. I think we waited out. There was no fire, obviously. For like 30 minutes. Some people left. Some people didn't. And then they let us back in. And they we had to rewatch that part. Yeah, we we went to the only screening probably that we got to see that part twice. twice. And somehow the whole theater, you know, I don't know how some people feel about the film. I fucking love the movie. It um, but the, the folks on there, everyone were, were really chill. happy yeah. and chill, and like it was like a good time. You know, it's a raw, harsh part, but it was like, you know, when you're in a movie theater, whether it's like a premiere or whatever, there's a kind of feeling you're in a group and you're going through something together and then we had to like wait around for 30 minutes and wonder if the how the theater was gonna get burned down so it was a good vibe i love anyway that's our story about that um okay so let's move on this track is called holding your hand So what do you think? What what are your memories of this track? Well, it was it's definitely like one of the most pretty songs that like Mitchell's ever produced. So I was yes. super excited. To it's do. A, it's a beautiful track. Mm -hmm. There's like, um, I think it's a song that kind of reminds me in some ways of your last day, which is like a song Mitchell produced. Uh, it's. Oh, we'll we'll probably talk about it in a second, but a similar, just in the sense that they're both in a way I, I define them in my headspace as linear tracks. Mm -hmm. There's they repeat, they loop. Um, of course, there's a uh, holding your hand breaks it up a little with like a kind of snare drum kind of portion that is added. Mm -hmm. But um, I would I don't do vocals on the song. So what were the lyrics about? Is it just, is it about our relationship? It's obviously uh, about yeah. us. It's definitely, like, the most straightforward kind of, like, diary experience, really, mm -hmm. of our relationship. And so, and mixed with just, like, almost, like, uh, spiritualizing it all or mm -hmm. something. And, oh, that's interesting. And I guess, like, the, it was kind of, like, inspired by the idea of, like, the role of women in this like world as like the doorway to like life and death and mm -hmm. the idea of like holding your hand is like it kind of represents like a woman's like role at the end of just being the one that is the caretaker for for death as well mm. and so it's like not just about say a relationship but also about going through life together and and the woman as the like she leads the man and and the pe and pe 
like all humans in and out of life. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> I didn't even oh, well, you know, I knew it, but I think it's always can I look at the lyrics? Yeah, we are like I'll, I'll read Yeah, you should. Um, let our house of bricks crumble. Let us be dust. Let time wash over and remove all traces. All that remains are the ashes of the vows we burned on your last day. Wait, is that your last day's lyrics? No. Oh, it's not? Okay. It, it literally goes into that oh, song. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. That's what's so cool. So it's like you were aware of where it was leading to. Yeah. I mean, I, of course, I love those lyrics. Can I just look at them? Mm -hmm. I just love the lyrics so much. Sorry. Um, yeah, because of course so your last day is just a small loop. I apologize for saying that. Oh, no. um, I think that holding your hands lyrics are just like some of your best writing. Oh, thank you. Um, I will hold your hand though I do not know you. Let my lamentation be a prayer and your markings an oath. To the gods I pray to. I've seen them fighting and fucking and I was horrified. But you take me and uplift me. And I realize there was nothing to be afraid of but you. Jeez. <laughs> I love those lyrics so mm -hmm. much. Do you remember writing them over time? Over time, yeah. I mean, they're insane. Oh, my God. It's definitely like the, the like much more, um, like a longer lyrical song. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um I think that's what's interesting too is like we right now we're in a time period <clears throat> and this isn't being personal with anyone because it's all over the place where people I think are more are very interested in religion and Christ whether it's Christianity or their own personal set of religion you know I think 10 years ago we were in like a Richard Dawkins you know 4chan 2007 everyone's an atheist I wasn't but you know that was an overarching kind of vibe of like a million kids talking, you know, laughing about evolution, which was a reaction to like the evangelical movement too at the time, mm -hmm. which that can be its own thing. But I think it's interesting that now, 10 years later, there's people are much more like, let's say young people, uh, artistic people are much more open about being interested in religion. I don't know how serious some people are very dedicated, but that's, that's about their own personal shit. But what I'm trying to say is, you a couple this is you know this album was made in 2015 it came out in like late 2015 early 2016 but um to me what's interesting is you utilize oh is there there's a car alarm going off but we'll ignore <laughs> it you utilize you talk about devotion and religion uh and never necessarily one version of christianity your own personal interest in christianity mm -hmm. you know to this day, there's a an old falling apart copy of the Gospels of Mary Magdalene, which we need to get you a new copy of. Mm -hmm. But, you know, your interest in the history of myth and tales and religions is, is like ever since I've known you. And also, so to me, co coming into Breathing Problem with you, mm -hmm. we we make an album about ourselves and our own relationship and the positive, beautiful nature of contrasted with this very violent and kind of, I guess for lack of a better term, subversive sex life, mm -hmm. sex as the most important life giving act, um, even without impregnation. And then you talking about love 
and devotion and you know what I mean? I think some people view, and it's very reductive, they view noise and industrial as edgy nihilism, which, by the way, I'm nothing wrong with edgy nihilism. I like edgy nihilism. That's fine with me. You know, we do mental abortion. I, I love raw, horrid, horrid, dark shit. Don't get me wrong, okay? But I think there's a beautiful life-giving nature to this album, mm-hmm. and specifically those lyrics. Do you know what I mean by yeah, that? Yeah, I do. It, it's, it wasn't the traditional like this is a noise album that's about dark fucked up sex (laughs) um to me there it's there's many different threads and layers and influences but there's a beautiful set of ideas within that you know that maybe some people wouldn't notice or maybe you know i think people like this album i hope they do and some people still post about or talk about it whoever those people are and you know I hope that they can see those things in it or even feel those things that uh, the, the kind of mul- the, there's multiple things going on, many different things going on between uh, and uh, anyway, I just love your lyrics on that song. Oh, thank you. <laughs> okay. So is this the last track I'm about to get to? So this song is called your last day. This song, what do you think? What is your thoughts? Um, oh, it's like so. Uh, it takes me to like just that era of like playing this live, and this was just usually the we would save this for last because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it is. And just, it's the last song, the last song for yeah. a set. Um, and I love the ambient aspect of again, it. Again, Mitchell produced this song yeah. with us. Um, also, Swallowing Vile in a way helped produce it because. The crackle and crunch and the voice you can hear underneath is Ethan uh-huh. from Swallowing Vile's voice. Mm-hmm. We asked him to send us some kind of spoken word noise, and he took that. Uh, he, meaning Mitchell, took that and then added his own synth and production mm-hmm. and then sent it back to me and you, and then you did the vocals, mm-hmm. and I helped mix it a little bit. And the lyrics for that, that, y- that you repeat, are, can you read them? Sure. Uh Time weeps in fear of its own demise. Now time weeps in fear of its own infinity. The end may never come. So I love those. I love those lyrics. Um, I think they're also perfect for the last song in an album. In a way, also if you may, in my mind, the album is on a loop. So like mm-hmm. this song ends the album, and then you start with bed of sex pit of tar again do you know what i mean like you could almost loop the album yeah um 
what were, could you talk about what you were thinking when you wrote those lyrics? Do you remember what the song was about to you, or were they just lyric like lyrics you liked? Or I guess we were like um, to kind of refer back to like what we were talking about with the last song, and kind of just like that um, diving into like religion or like a spiritual aspect of stuff. I remember having conversations with you just like about um like almost like celestial forces of like darkness and light like making love and like fighting at the same time it was like mm -hmm. a concept or something that you had like it was like an idea for like a film okay yeah do you remember that i don't know if i do but it, <laughs> but there was a kind of mix between fighting and i mean yeah even and thinking it was, back it was, about, it was basically like witnessing like oh oh that that sci-fi yes, yes that sci-fi okay i'll quickly idea. say I, I since i was in high school there's i a short <laughs> story idea like i wanted to create a traditional like old school sci-fi story and um without getting into the this narrative it was never written but it was about somebody witnessing the beginning of time and uh and in their mind they see these abstract kind of godlike beings they're not you know whatever they are in his mind he interprets interprets what he sees as that because he can't there's no other words for it but he sees the character sees he witnesses the beginning and end of time mm -hmm. and when he comes back after seeing it he tells it's basically like the government hires a man to go into a machine to see the dawn and end of time mm -hmm. and the government says, okay, you know, maybe we can deal with unrest in our future society. What, what do you think you saw? And they actually have a recording of what he saw. And when it's played, the world interprets those recordings as proof that heaven and hell and God and everything are real. And they all commit suicide except this guy because the guy was like, I don't know if that's what I saw. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, I think I told him, I told you the story. And that's yeah. kind of like your interpretation of those. I think I just like love that that concept it mm -hmm. stuck with me mm -hmm. and it made me build on to that in my mind and like also kind of just these lyrics here are also such an early kind of stage of of learning about that kind of stuff slowly mm -hmm. like it, your own the, interest in, in yeah of like in the, larger concepts of, of the fear of death versus like the fear of infinite well infinite at the time also life. i was constantly yeah. when i got sober I was, for some reason, maybe it makes total sense, very dealing with, I guess, existential dread, which mm -hmm. everyone deals with. But <laughs> somehow, hey, this makes total sense. I got off heroin, which heroin is the drug that makes you not worry about death. You're if like you're... in the midst of death. You're completely happy to die. At least that's how I felt. Yeah. You're like a Buddhist, just completely, or the, you know, a not a true Buddhist. But, you know, in your mind, you're like a little meditative doper that's just taking right. your drugs and you're not worried about anything. So when I got sober i was definitely you know i wasn't feeling the obvious uh symptoms of withdrawal but what i was instead feeling was a kind of psychic withdrawal of accepting life and death over mm -hmm. again you know something i had already kind of dealt with and everyone deals with as say like a teenager yeah. i was experiencing in my late mid-20s these very intense dread induced feelings of infinity and time which was happening all at the same time right and i would talk to you about it and of course amelia and i think many women that's its own conversation completely 
deal with those feelings differently. Let's just say that. I think that's what the the that's about holding your hand was about. Like what I was trying you to say. You kind of protect being. And then your last day is like almost saying like like don't yeah don't the time itself like is something that you can fear but it's also like you know your fear of your own disappearance versus like the real actual fear of that you're you're infinite and this is ongoing and mm-hmm. it will never you can't stop it right. like that's it's a almost, flow it's a flow yeah right. and you know I, I that's why i love this conversation we're, we're talking about these songs and their meanings because sometimes you know you just make an album and yeah. you make it and you kind of know what it's about and you don't worry about it but here's some of the things that we were thinking and i so i love that song um so that's it that's the full album uh and but i think there's a couple more things we should talk about yeah um we should talk i want to say a big thank you to alex york of torn light records he messaged me and and amelia and said hey do you want to do breathing problem on vinyl of course it had never happened before and i said yeah let's do it but i want to do a double lp and so that was how breathing problem productions came on as we co-released it so it was fair you know we it was we were both bearing the brunt of a double lp but he was completely down for it and so uh supportive and thank you so much alex york Uh, we love you and torn light records is amazing it's online and in person too so support them but um the art for the album was a photo that we had conceptualized multiple photos that were taken by brian lee taylor a photographer and musician from austin um and we went to him saying can you take these photos of us but they were the photos specifically the cover for sure was influenced by if you want to uh we were super influenced by um antoine daggett's photography mm-hmm. um and I, I think that it's really clear. It's like really obvious that, like the the photographs are uh, are no homage to his yes, work. Yes, because it's that uh, long exposure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean his pictures. style, which we discovered Antoine Daguerre's work through Peter Sotos, by the way, in his book Desistance, yes. which is a great book, and I think we might read some chapters or some sections from it, um, or a little, but uh we love like the concepts behind his photography and like felt very like centered in that and that it kind of felt right for how we wanted to express uh, this album and the themes of it right it felt like that's what i wanted to appear and like look like to everyone right yeah what they're hearing do you want me to read and you can read a little we can sure. both read so I, we can edit this if it gets too long but i this is from peter sodas's book uh desistance and but this is a um some some of these or most of these sections we're going to read are actually uh, cl- uh sections from antoine dagata interviews and writing from his own work like an actor in my own script i face up in the flesh to the disorder of the world, to its violence and indignity. It is not a question of opening my eyes to this world's excess, but of measuring myself against the truths concealed in its depths, of melting into it, letting it contaminate me for better or for worse. Mm. Okay, so I love, it's so beautiful. Um, 
one thing I def I feel so connected to is it's not a question of opening my eyes to this world's excesses, but of measuring myself against the truth, con truths concealed in its depths, of melting into it, letting it contaminate me for better or worse. Um, what what are your connections to it? What do you what do you feel when you read that? I think it's like no longer being just the subject of something, even though you've interjected yourself into the, your own work for the sake of of showing experientially the intensity within. <clears throat> he really wants to be so deeply embedded in what's going on behind it that whatever it is is something that he allows so fully in that he like chooses or tries to be part of it yeah he or says it like letting it contaminate me for better or for worse mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's like these experiences that are being documented are like so intimate in the in the act of being with something so intensely that it can completely like corrupt you right or take you over and, and i think you and melting into it right i think we should also if you know if you don't want to google antoine daguerre as you're listening to this or if you don't know his work uh he is a french photographer who is in many ways his work is about choosing to reject his place in french society middle class upper class french society and be one with um those who live in poverty he smokes meth ice which he talks about with prostitutes in places like thailand and mexico and has sex with prostitutes there and photog and photographs them and they photograph him um and he he in his work aside from just photos that are beautiful and amazing a lot of his work comes with these pieces of writing where he's explaining his reasonings behind these things and of course um i think what's interesting is as we were making this album Although we don't necessarily, you know, one for one, it do, we aren't doing exactly what he's doing, but rather there's a connection to the way that sexuality and sharing that sex and that what some people view as degenerate, disgusting sex is a freeing and beautiful and for us at least life-giving act. Mm -hmm. um, I guess I wanted to read, a, I, I was going to read a little bit whether it would, I show my life that I share with those able to evade the social order to dissolve into the nothingness of their ephemeral survival. They offer themselves to my eye, my heart, my body. I conceive of photography as offering oneself to reality, a salutatory, uh, sorry, a salutary intercontamination between an individual who is the master of his acts and the world around him. But today it is saturated in good conscience, in right thinking condescension, in indecent sentimentality and cheap sociology it misleads us about its power to reveal to think decipher and analyze the solidarity it displays is sordid and hypocritical its intelligence is mean narrow is mean narrow under the cover of objectivity and materiality it claims to be the bald truth but shows a rigid state of things a partial and cynical ver vision controlled by the economic interests of its clients commissioning parties sponsors and dealers i dive into the mirror 
the world projects. I exacerbate my desire. I adjust the distance separating me from others. I no longer bother about reducing the world to an intelligible and representable service. The vice is tightening. The multiplication of iconographic networks is reducing flesh to its flimsiest expression, but I am participating in its final contortions. <laughs> I photograph to face the world, engaging the same inexhaustible protocol, tra tra traversing and being traversed by experiences whose common denominator, denominator is excess. Confronting the inherent contradictions to the use of documentary photography, I document what I live and live the situations I document on a path overshadowed by risk, hazard, desire, and unconsciousness in a frantic search for the feeling of being alive, of being part of life. Mm -hmm. There you go. Yeah. I, I mean, um, also, uh, I wonder if there's a White House LP, double LP collection of tracks, and the, the, the album collection, of course, is called The Feeling of Being Alive. I don't know mm -hmm. if that's a reference. I love... Um, I love the that section. I don't even know how much needs to be said. Um, <laughs> but just separately, you know, I would ask all people if they're interested in what they read or if they Google his work, you know, check his work out, purchase his books. Art is beautiful and great and amazing. Um, and I think he's one of those examples of someone who truly lives his art and rejects the disgusting nature of the art world and all its capitalist hellscapes. And someone like, you know, Peter, this is a book that Peter Sotos wrote where he's taking, you know, in many ways, it's like a, you know, a critical book of Sotos taking Antoine Daggett's work and putting it in new contexts and discussing it. We haven't read any of the sections that Sotos talks about, but, you know, Peter Sotos, who's one of the biggest sweethearts in the world, could be an, you know, an art teacher or a professor. I wish he was one. He doesn't because he is able to show work that is forgotten or unknown by many people you know he of course did another book um called pure filth about jamie gillis's uh gonzo porn work but he knows and exposes people to incredible art um i just want to say that Amelia and i'll probably do multi maybe other episodes about sotos i want to do an episode where we go over each track of buyer's market someday but um Anyway, I think it's important to say when we're getting back to our album that we were reading this book, we were looking at his work, we were connecting to it, to the idea of taking this very personal act and this act between us as being outside of the kind of marketability of, of traditional music and performance, and it's 100% our own world. You know, he taught, it's, it's like about, in some ways, it's about creating the, this world between you and the other person, that, and that exists in its own infinite way. Mm -hmm. But back to the just the art of the album, we luckily were able to get Brian Lee Taylor to take some photos in our house on a mattress that were similar to Daggett's work, that were us trying to give a nod to his work, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And create the bed of sex pit of tar. Literally. Yeah. Um, uh, which we did in a in a much more literal way later in like a performance that right we did, we did here mul in Austin. right multiple performance well that one specifically we did, when we played with Lasseria in Austin we flew him down on a night fraught with drama luckily the show didn't get canceled but we played usually we had done the mattress performance but in this case oh wait we didn't do that never mind 
we, that was the first attempt. We almost really did that at the Lasaria show, to. but l- shit was too the tense. Was the venue was just worried okay about shit. That. So there was a different performance a couple months later in uh, Warehouse an early or... version of Shirley's Temple DIY space mm-hmm. where we use originally we were as the the tar we were going to use just corn corn syrup and black food coloring but i think we realized how messy and awful that would be if we we, that would fuck a venue up they would have to really wash themselves so instead we got black liquid latex and Mm we amelia made we cut a giant hole in like a small twin size mattress with some wire cutters Mm -hmm. and then in the hole we had to get like a, a big tub that we would place under the mattress with the hole in it so the the tub would go right where that hole was right. We're like... and in the hole was this shallow tub of liquid latex but it was enough to like completely cover your body mm-hmm. but you, when you set it up you couldn't see any of that so it just looked like a mattress with a hole in it it was like and we then, were little magicians we were yes, little illusionists it was, there was a time period when setting up performance did feel like some kind of a magic act that I had to figure out how am I going to make this like look this way without the anyone knowing. Yeah. yeah, and what's amazing is that the performance worked. It was a great, it was a small venue with a loud sound system, a good night. People were open and excited, and we reached into the middle of the fucking mattress and pulled out this liquid latex, and it <laughs> it was... It smelled like ammonia, which I think freaked, freaked some people out. I mean, so many people out. Like the, <laughs> they yeah. didn't. I don't, I, I don't what think, was weird they is didn't no know what it was. Knew what it was. Yeah, that was kind of um, funny. So, <laughs> so it was amazing to be. So in many ways, you know, bed of sex is a companion piece to a set of performances that we were working on and perfecting at the time. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I love, you know, there's many projects now that we, that we have, you know, we have Interior One, Concave Convex, we just finished the Section Tape, um, Mental Abortion, and, and also Still Breathing Problem. We want to do a true follow-up to Bed of Sex, you know, who knows when that'll be. A lot of the stuff that we did, like we did a No Heat split, we did an Immortalist split that are kind of tracks that I'm so proud of. You know, the tracks, we'll talk about sometime. The tracks on the um, No Heat Split are like some of my favorite, just pure ambient tracks that we've ever done. Um, but uh, I think it would be cool someday to do an album that's still just as like concepty as mm-hmm. as Bed of Sex. But um, anyway, I think we're at a good stopping point. Yeah, I love where this went. Um, thank you, everyone. I hope you guys all had happy holidays or just stayed safe and healthy. Um, thank you so much for listening. This was the Breathing Problem Productions podcast, episode three. I'm Rusty Kelly. And I'm Amelia McKay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.